In this series, we're talking about relationships of all kinds, really, relationships that involve uh, what you would have with your friends and your family, uh, with uh, co-workers, um, spouses, uh, children, sisters, brothers, all of these relationships, even your frenemies are included in this all kinds of relationship. And as we got started this morning, I just thought, well, I just need something that can encourage you. Um, and so I'm thinking, you know, we have a, a, we have a percentage of folks at Stuttgart Harvest Church and who listen online who are single ladies. And, and I know you can have some struggles, single ladies, because we have this thing called Facebook. And when you put things out there, you know, people are watching, they're following, they know what's happening in your life because you let them know. You know, we and there's this little relationship status thing. You can write it's complicated or, you know, whatever. So, but sometimes you change your relationship status and your life changes. So here's some encouragement for you. This is what I found. Here we go. McKinley's going to pop it up there. Here it comes. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty awesome. Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. When a girl changes her relationship status to single. So you understand, right? I don't know if they were chasing her because she was single or it was that giant snicker bar she had. I'm not sure, but they were chasing her. In this series, I am teaching you what um, experts are teaching me because I'm learning as well. And we have to grow in these areas. We, we have to learn because if we are not doing something specific to grow in our relationships our relationships are going to get and are getting worse. If we are not growing, they are getting worse year by year by year. So as we get started, here are some deep questions for us. Here's the first one. I'm just going to go through a series of questions just to think about. Um, why do we get angry? Why are we so impatient? Why do we fail to be gentle and to be kind? Why do we hold a grudge? Why do we seek to get even? Why do sometimes we simply refuse to cooperate? Why do we say rude or raw things to somebody else? Why do we hang up on somebody when we get mad and we're on the phone? Why do we lie to someone? Or why do we try to get that person to do what we want them to do? Why are we so competitive with other people sometimes? Why are we so envious? Why do we have trouble being excited for someone else who has something good happen to them? I think we do all of these things really for one reason. Here it is. We want our own way the way we have chosen it, and we want it at the time that we want it. Now, those are all negative things I just read. So how about some positive things, maybe to encourage us a little bit? I, I, these are some great things. So let's look at this. In, in some of your good relationships, have you ever said, I'm so happy we don't fight anymore. That's a good thing. I, I, I love being with you. Or maybe I enjoy my time with my family. Maybe you've said to someone, you are so good to me. Maybe you've said to someone, God gave you to me. I'm so grateful. Maybe you said, finally, I found someone I can trust. Maybe you've told a friend, this was fun. Let's get together and do this again. Maybe you said sometimes, before I met you, I was so lonely. Uh, maybe you said, I'm glad God brought you into my life. 
Maybe you tell a friend, I can't wait for you to meet them. That Finally, I met someone who really loves me, who takes care of me, maybe you said. Or perhaps you just say, someone who shows me that I'm important to them. And those things sound wonderful. I mean, they sound great. Now, who does not want to be part of a significant relationship like that? These are all good things. But wait just a moment. Each one... Each one has a very clear agenda. Each one is actually focused on one thing. The agenda of all of those statements and statements like those is this. The agenda is it's all about what a person gets out of that relationship, which makes it, it, makes it all about self. So why do we say things like this? And why do we have some of those negative things that I, I, I was talking about just a moment ago? I think there's one big problem reason, and here it is. We love ourselves, and we have a wonderful plan for our own lives. It's very clear that the power of self and the power of sin is still present in someone, even someone who is following Jesus every day. You know, Jesus defeated the future of sin for us. If you've submitted your life to Jesus, it no longer, sin no longer has a hold of your eternity. But as we said last week, this side of heaven even if we've submitted our lives to Jesus, this side of heaven, sin is still inside of us. And while Jesus can help us defeat that control that sin has over us, it is still there, present inside of every single one of us. So this side of heaven, we still Every day, moment by moment, we have to be fighting this self-centered nature inside of us. And it appears even in our best relationships. Our self-promoting agenda is always going to try to take over our own lives and also the relationships that we have. This is a fact. But this is also true. Here's a fact. God has a bigger agenda for your relationships than you do. God has a bigger agenda than we have. So because of that, here's a question. How close is your relationship dream to God's relationship dream that he has for you? And moment by moment, person by person in your life, which dream are you fighting for? Yours or his? Thankfully, God doesn't leave us to have to just wander and guess about this. He gives us a trail map straight to what his dream of a relationship is for you. It's as if God has given you a trail map to his best duck hunting holes, to his best deer stands. He's given you a trail map right to his best fishing holes. And he tells us exactly how to get to his relationship agenda, his relationship dream for you and for me. And we find this this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read through this and we're going to stop and talk about parts of it. Let's start with verse 1. 
Paul is writing this. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you. So it's if he's on his hands and he's saying, please, 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 pay attention to this. Please bring this into your life. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, he says. Paul is saying you have received God's um, grace into your life. And he's saying, please, 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 may your behavior and your decisions and your words, would they please, in your relationship, please may they reflect that. This does not just show up on Sundays. This isn't, Paul is saying, this is not something that just happens on Sundays when you meet at the building where the church gathers. This is not just something for Sundays. This is something, Paul is saying, that should be present in your life and your relationships day by day, moment by moment. It's all part of God's dream for you, for your relationships. And so God gives us some roadmaps, and Paul is going to take us through these, some signs that will point the way to help us get to God's dream relationship. And here, Paul is specifically speaking to Christ followers. But what we're talking about today is something truly you could apply to every relationship in your life, brothers, sisters, children, um, aunts, uncles, frenemies, everybody. You could truly apply this to everybody. And Paul kicks off this list with some character qualities. And often these qualities, I'm going to just be honest with you, often they're the opposite of what drives me in relationship. And I bet you can say the same thing possibly about you. Here's the first one. Paul kicks us off in verse 2. He says, always be humble. Now, this means, to be humble means that you clearly see your own weaknesses, your own faults, your own sins, your own problems um, long before you think long and hard about the other person's problems and, and the other person's sins and the other person's weaknesses. You are thinking about yours instead of theirs. Paul says, be humble. We have a tendency to hold other people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. You know, we hold them to God's standards or our standard. And what do we do for ourselves? We give ourselves a get out of jail free card. That's what we usually do. But Paul says this very first thing, this very first character quality, be humble. And then he adds to it, be gentle. He says, be gentle. And we think, oh, great. Gentle. Thanks a lot. Gentle. All right. So you want me to be a weakling. Okay, God, you want me to be a pushover or a coward. But that's not right. Truly gentle people, they are not weak. It it takes enormous strength to choose to be gentle. It's a strength where we choose to empower other people. It's gentleness. It's an enormous strength to be in a relationship strong without damaging the people around you. Here's a gentle giant question for you. I like this question. Here's what it says. Do people often feel bruised when they are in a relationship with you? We need to be Gentle. And Paul goes on, not just gentle. He says, be patient with each other. 
And we usually get this wrong, this whole patient part. We, we think that patience is the ability to wait well. Like, I'm going to be in this line, I need to be patient. Or I, I've got to wait on something well. And that's just a very tiny, tiny, tiny part of what patience really is. Patient people, here's what they do. Patient people, um, they place the needs of other people higher than their own needs, or at least equal to. They take your needs and they place them equal to or higher than their own needs. Here's another way to look at it. If I'm looking to meet and take care of your needs, then I'm being patient. But if I'm working to meet my needs, I'm being impatient. That's a better picture of patience. Now, Paul steps it up here. He adds something to this. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Paul says that we are to do all of this even when that person over there doesn't deserve it. We are still to do it. He's saying you are to strive for God's relationship dream even when that other person over there provokes you. Paul is saying we're to be people who are humble and we should be gentle and patient even when that other person over there is not. Even when the relationship that you have been investing in and pouring your heart in and time in, even when that relationship is beginning to turn bad, he says we're still to have those character qualities. These character qualities that Paul is talking about are things that should be steady in our lives. When your relationship turns bad, when it begins to turn cold, icy cold, like a cold winter night, Paul is saying your character qualities become this big, thick, warm blanket of grace that covers that relationship. That's what it should be. But usually, we don't cover relationships with the big, thick, warm blanket of grace, we usually pull out this cold steel sword of the law. That's what we usually do. We have the law, they have an offense to the law, and then we want to punish them. And we live in this cycle of law, offense, and punishment. In other words, I have a set of rules that I expect you to live by. And I'm watching you to make sure you live by my laws, by my rules. And if you don't, I see it. And I'm going to choose a punishment for you. And we live in that cycle. And Paul is saying that is the exact opposite of what God dreams for your relationship. God's not going to show up in a relationship in that law, offense, punishment cycle the way you hope that he will show up in that relationship. And Paul goes on in verse 3 now. He says, make every effort. Now, Paul does not pretend that this is going to be easy. He says, this is going to require great work. And it seems to me that we are so very willing to fight for, to fight to the death for our own relationship dreams, our own agenda. And that's exactly what it brings, a death to that relationship. 
why don't we perhaps fight just as hard for God's relationship dream? I mean, fight to the death for God's relationship dream, because then that actually brings life into your relationships. So Paul says, make every effort, and then he goes on, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves, he says, together with peace. Now, in this moment, Paul is getting ready to take this turn. He's going to throw in this power passage. He's going to tie all of this relationship together with the power of the Trinity. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to how he does it. Verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Verse 5. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, all for all, who is over all and in all and living through all. This is a power passage. This is huge. Paul is saying we can actually get along in our earthly relationships because the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they do. They get, us, they get along so that we can. Here, here's kind of how that works. We give grace to someone else because we've been shown grace by God. See? We can be humble in a relationship because Jesus chose to humble himself and come live here among us on this earth. We can be patient and we can be gentle because God the Father is patiently and gently working out our salvation. A salvation for me, someone who does not deserve it. And yet he's gently and patiently working that out. And and he says, in love, in an attitude of love, we can make allowance for one another's faults and weaknesses, just like God's Spirit is with me. And he's making an allowance for me and my weaknesses. You know one way that shows up? God's Spirit does not run away from me. God's Spirit does not leave me in the face of my bad decisions and my sin. He doesn't leave me and abandon me. He stays with me, stays right there guiding me and correcting me. So look, look at it this way. The Father and the Spirit and the Son, they were ripped apart. For the very first time in all of eternity, they were ripped apart, torn apart as Jesus came here and died on the cross. You know why? They were torn apart so that we might be united with them and with each other. So yes, Paul says this is going to take great work, hard work, great effort. But the God who tells us to do this is going to give us absolutely everything that we need to make it happen. You see, when I try, when I try to give my relationships my purpose... I become impatient, I become frustrated, I become explosive. My purpose, you know what that is? It's to get what I want out of that relationship. But God's purpose, His desire, His dream, is to give us what we really need. Think about it from a parent's perspective here. That should be exactly how we parent. And I'm beginning to wonder if that actually happens anymore. I'm not sure. 
Here's what should happen. We should love our kids by giving them what they need. We're not talking about giving them what they're asking for, giving them what they're demanding, giving them what they think they are entitled to. No, no, no. If, if that were the case, listen, our kids would eat french fries, chicken nuggets, and ice cream and candy for the rest of their life. But we're saying, no, 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 no. We give our children what they need. We give them what they need, not necessarily what they want. And that's what happens here. Now Paul goes on in the next section and he tells us this, that God ultimately wants all of us to grow up. He wants all of us to to quit being infants in these relationships, to quit being babies in these relationships. He says, I want you to grow up. I want you to be mature. Don't act like a baby in your relationship, going after what you want all the time. God says, I'm going to use that relationship to give you what you need. And in fact, I think really God would say, I want you to grow up to the point that the things that ruled the heart of Jesus when he walked here on this earth are the same things that are ruling in your heart too. But this is usually so opposite of how I feel. I mean, we have a tendency, if you're anything like me, we have a tendency to think that my life is good only when everything and all my relationships are good, then yes, my life is good. If my relationships are smooth, then yeah, my life is good. But you know, God knows that your life can also be good even when we're not getting along with other people. Because God can actually accomplish His relationship dream even when you're having trouble getting along with somebody. Okay, so let's talk about fitness for a moment. And I know, I know, you're thinking, wait a minute, fat boy, (laughs) what are you going to teach me about fitness? And you're right. I mean, you're exactly right. I'm going to have to tell you what other people have told me about fitness, because um, all I can, if, we're, if we're bound to me teaching you what I know about fitness, here's all I know how to do. I can teach you how to get your insurance company to charge you an extra fat tax, because that's what they do to me. So if that's what you want, I can get you there. But I'm going to have to tell you what I've been told about fitness. So I have been told about the fitter things of life. If you give up on exercise at the first sign of physical stress or fatigue, you will never, ever, ever get fit. I give you exhibit A and B. And exhibit C, I I pretty much give you the whole alphabet of exhibits. You will never get fit. If you quit when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when you get tired, you will lose the fit battle. Because I am told the greatest benefits of exercise come after the fatigue, and they come after the exhaustion. And that's true for relationships as well. If you quit 
when things get difficult, when it gets exhausting, when it's tiring, you will never get relationally fit. It takes time. Here's another observation about tough relationships. Relationships have this amazing ability to diagnose a problem and to help you cure the problem. Relationships will diagnose, and usually the diagnosis is this. It finds a selfish disease in that relationship, usually in you. It finds this disease of selfishness. So if you are tired and you are ready to give up, it's possible that God is using that relationship to help you diagnose somewhere in your life a selfish agenda somewhere. And then God uses that diagnosis in that relationship to help you grow at that exact point, that exact spot, that exact area where you are struggling. And that is the cure. That relationship gives you a diagnosis that says, ouch, it hurts here. There's probably some kind of selfish agenda inside of that. And then God works on that spot, at that spot, in that moment. And he gives you the cure for that spot. God knows what he's doing. Our nature drives us to look for relationships that are fluffy relationships that are shallow, relationships that are easy, relationships that somehow gives us some kind of personal advancement. We have a tendency to look for a relationship that has very low personal cost, but very high self-defined returns. But that's not God's dream. He wants a relationship to have high personal cost and high God-defined returns. And we usually disagree with God about that. But eventually, years later, we find out, oh, his plan is actually better. And you know why? Ultimately, his plan makes us in our relationships more like Jesus. Here's a big truth for us. You know, when we are in conflict with others that we are not working through, that kind of conflict, then we're also in conflict with God. It's a conflict of agendas. It's our agenda versus God's agenda. Now, this Ephesians chapter 4, Paul ends this chapter and he tells us what God's dream of a relationship looks like. When it's God's agenda, when it's God's purpose, when it's God's dream rules, he tells us here's what it looks like. And he shows us seven tendencies that we have naturally. And these seven natural tendencies destroy relationships. Therefore, those seven tendencies require us to constantly battle against those seven tendencies. 
And he highlights those for them. We're going to highlight them for you. And I'm going to ask you if any of these tendencies are present in any of your relationships at home or at work, in your extended family, um, in your community, or even among our church family. If they are there, take note and listen to what Paul has to say. So as he finishes this chapter, so for all practical purposes, we have looked at the entire chapter 4 of Ephesians. Now let's finish it off with these last verses and let Paul kind of give us God's dream. He starts off in verse 17. With the Lord's authority, he says, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. That's another way of saying don't live like people who don't follow God. He said, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them or God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. He's saying, don't do this. But now Paul is going to give us this very first tendency. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the tendency that I'm going to read through the passage. Paul says, we have a tendency to say this. I want what I want and I want it right now. He said, we have that tendency, and it ruins, it destroys relationships. Here's what he says about the tendency in verse 19. They have no sense of shame. They live for their lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity, verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, you have learned, he says, the truth, and it comes from him. He says, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul says, we struggle with the opposite. We struggle with, I want what I want, and I want it now. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Let God give you these new thoughts. Fight against that selfish tendency. And now he gives us a second tendency. He says this, we have a tendency to manipulate the truth so that we can get what we want out of other people, out of relationships. We manipulate the truth. And here's what Paul says about that in verse 25. He simply says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. He says, stop lying. Don't lie. Let's be truthful. Don't try to manipulate the truth to get what you want from that person. He says, that will destroy a relationship. He gives us the next tendency. He says anger, and he's going to say anger is, we use anger. The tendency is I use anger to get what I want. I use anger to control people. I can vent and my venting, I know I'm going to get certain reactions and I can vent and I can and I can control people and get what I want. And here's what Paul says about that in verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. He says, that's a tendency we have to control people with anger. He, sa he says next, he's going to go on. He said, we have another tendency, and it's to take what I want. If I see what I want, I'm just going to take it. And when I take it, then I just kind of hold on it, hold on to it for myself. And, I, and, and anything I do have, I just kind of hang on to the other stuff I have too. And I, and I don't use it to love you or to show you love. Here's what he says in verse 28. If you're a thief, 
Quit stealing. He's saying, don't just see what you want in other people and lives and take it. He says, no, instead, use your hands for good things, good, hard work. And then, he's saying, don't just hang on to things for yourself. He says, then generously, give it generously to others in need. He says, we have a tendency to take what we want, and we have a tendency to hoard our stuff, and we don't use it to love and serve other people. He said, we have to fight against that tendency. Paul says our next tendency is this, unhelpful communication. Rather than me using my words to make you feel better um, and to put you in a better position or disposition in life, instead I use my words to make me feel better. I use my words to make me feel better. If I'm upset, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say, and I feel better, right? I I use my words to make me feel better and to put me in the top spot. Paul says you can't do that. You're going to have to fight that tendency. Here's what he says in verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. He says do this instead. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words can be an encouragement to those who hear them. And in doing all this, verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Now, Paul gives us another tendency here. It's a tendency to see you, someone else, as my opponent. To see you as a competitor, my opponent. So I have to go on the attack. He says this in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well of all types of evil behavior. Paul gives us one last thing here and he's implying that I really don't like to forgive you because I want to make other people, people who have hurt me, I want to make them pay. If they've done something against me, they must pay. And Paul says we have to fight against that. Verse 32, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted and forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Every single one of us in this room, in our relationships, are tempted by many of these things. And Paul is writing all of this to Christ followers. And we're tempted by all of these things that destroy relationships. But from these very deep struggles comes God's grace to grow us through the struggle and through the pain and and through that tough relationship. And yes, Paul reminds us, this is going to demand hard work, but God is willing. Are we willing? The highest joys of a relationship are grown in the soil of the deepest, deepest struggles. And these struggles are not obstacles. Yes, To us, they look like obstacles, but they are not obstacles. They are instruments. They can be instruments in God's hands 
Every struggle in a relationship that we face is an opportunity to experience God's grace for ourselves and then to give that grace to the other person in that relationship. Now the rest of this series, as we go through it, it's going to be all about this hard work that we talked about today. The rest of the series, we're going to talk about the hard work, but it will be the best work that you will ever do. We're going to teach you how God can begin to create his relationship dream inside of your relationships, beginning right now, even the difficult, tough relationships. But this week we're ending with two simple steps, and we're asking you to do this. Here they are. The first thing we're asking you to do is when you go home, Will you begin to read through Ephesians chapter 4? Each day, just one single paragraph a day. It'll take you four to eight days, depending on what translation you use. Just read through one paragraph. And each day, will you take, you can take a, a note card or a piece of paper, or you can take um, four or five of these sticky notes, just peel them off the pads in the lobby. The SHC 6060 pads, turn them on the back and write down that paragraph for that day. And then keep the sticky note with you. Just take five, peel five or six off the pads. I have them laying in the lobby. And write the paragraph down and then set your phone alarm to go off every, a silent alarm so you don't drive people in your life crazy. A silent alarm to go off every hour of your working wake awake day, just once an hour. And when it goes off, will you just look at that paragraph and ask yourself this question and ask God this question, God, how is my life measuring up to your standard? God, how am I doing this hour? Will you help me this hour to live this paragraph this hour? Will you do that with us? Just take five or six, peel them right off the pad, take them with you. Once a day, write down the paragraph. Then go to the next paragraph, the next day, the next paragraph. And once an hour, just simply say, God, how am I doing? How am I doing? Will you do that? And here's the next thing. Number two, will you simply come back next week? Next week, let's start this hard workout together. Will you come back next week? And listen, you, you probably know someone in your life, you're thinking of them right now, who is having a very difficult time in one of their relationships. You've been texting them this week. You've, you've seen their post on Facebook. You know someone who's having a lot of trouble in a relationship right now. Will you invite that person, if they are not already active in another church, will you invite them to sit beside you next week as we continue this series? You can even just tell them, hey, you can go to SoundCloud. You can catch up. You can listen to it on Facebook Live that has been already recorded. But will you just come and sit beside me as as we go through this and we can learn this together. Will you go through Ephesians chapter 4, one paragraph at a time this week? And will you be back here next week as we begin the process of this very difficult work? But it'll be the best work, the best stuff you've ever done. Will you join us? Let's pray.
Father, you command us to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, all harsh words and slander, all types of evil behavior. And you said instead to be like tenderhearted and and serving one another, just as God through Christ you served, you have forgiven us. May we forgive those. God, we need your help. Because we have lived our relationships on our own agendas, leading us for so many years by our own purpose. We've lived to make us feel better. We have lived to make us terms out. We have lived to make us feel loved. We have lived by our terms, our standards, trying to fill our own relationship dreams. But Father, this week, would you help us to begin to see your agenda more clearly as we read and deeply think about what you wrote in Ephesians 4? Would you help us to begin to see your dream for our relationships? And then would you bring us back here next week as you begin to challenge to do the difficult work to move closer and closer to your dream, God, for our relationships. Jesus, we ask you to give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard, and will you give us the courage to do it? We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.